0: Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. As it was said, I've kind of finished... A series, and we're going to look at the kingdom of God. And I want to look at the clash of kingdoms. And um, just as a kind of start, I want to look at, uh, you know, just highlight a few battles over history that have shaped uh, history. So, Battle of Marathon, which was the Greeks against the Persians, and massive Persian army. Um, that were defeated by a small handful of Greeks. And then uh, they uh, kind of, I would say apocryphal, but uh, folklore, that it was there that uh, a runner went to marathon and uh, declared the victory, which is one of the reasons we have that that run. Then the Battle of Hastings, which 1066 saw the Anglo-Saxons, of their kind of rule and reign in uh, England actually come to an end. Then the surrender at Yorktown, which I read was a pretty boring battle in terms that it was uh, not anything to speak of, but the reality is it was the beginning of the end of uh, the UK or England's rule in the United States of America. My first trip to America, to Boston, I'd lived there for a couple of years in the end, There was one of the American guys said, "I I need to take you up to the tallest building in Boston," so so he took me to the top, and there was this kind of like it was like a Disney type display around the whole thing. It was he said, "Now there's a ten minute kind of presentation." and it's kind of a life thing it's, it's all around you so I'm standing there and basically it was the battle of the Tea Party when uh, they kicked the Brits out of Boston and so I had to just stand there and watch the defeat of, of our nation with a gloating actually Italian-American uh, saying this is how it all happened in this city so uh, that was, uh, But that was, uh, the thread of Yorktown was a bit after that. Then the Battle of Waterloo, when uh, Napoleon was defeated. Then the Siege of Stalingrad, which was an amazing battle that turned the course of the Second World War on the Eastern Front, where basically uh, Russians, some of them not armed, basically stood their ground against the German advance and eventually... Germans were had to just uh, move back because they uh, lost so many people. And then the invasion of Normandy, which basically was the start of the end of the Second World War. There's many, many battles that have actually shaped world history. And um, I, I, I read something even this morning that talks about epic battles that have done that. And I'm basically have been asked to talk about the epic battle, effectively, that shaped even these wars. That actually there is one battle, one war, that actually is, engulfs everything that we know in our history of the world. And so it starts basically at the very creation of the world. And in Genesis... We see God created all the earth, created people, created uh, nations in terms of the land and the sea, and basically saying, this is fantastic, this is brilliant, this is all that I wanted it to be, my words of saying, when God said, this is good, (laughs) okay, God just looking out, and uh, it was the land of Eden, and Shalom, which is peace, which is kind of everything, it's not just the kind of lack of war, but it's actually the positive. Sometimes we think peace is the kind of lack of something, but actually Shalom is actually much more, it's something about the way we just have, live in the goodness of God, in everything that is fantastic just no war no nothing, no battles and then in the kind of poetry of Genesis the way it talks it, it talks about God just walking in the, in the evening and, and dialoguing with the people that he created this picture of a, a beautiful place where actually God said this is my people, this is my world. And into that, we get a, the start of an epic battle. And it, it, it's one of those things that looks like innocuous. There's people in the garden, and there's the enemy of God, and uh, it's all in the mind. It's all dialogue. It's all actually trying to create in people that delighted in the God of the universe, the creator God, that actually, why do we need to worship God? Why can't we become like gods? Why can't actually we be able to do what God is? And so these people began, as it says, in Romans one twenty one, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God, or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they inst- instead they became utter fools. And instead of worshipping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshipped idols made to look like mere people, and birds and animals and reptiles. This doesn't seem like a battle of Waterloo. This doesn't seem like the battle of the Greeks with the Persians. But effectively, it is what made that all happen. It's what actually produced something in the human heart that became angry, became self-seeking, became anti other people. We wanted to be like God. And futility came into our minds. And this battle that started in the mind, started in the heart, actually ended up with killing, with anger, with brother against brother, sister against sister, nation against nation, abuse, poverty, anger, rich, ultra-rich and desperate poor, black and white against each other, slavery, it's amazing, this battle raging in the hearts of men and women. Out of a beautiful place of shalom, peace came a massive, epic battle. And you know what? When we put on our TVs, we see that played out all the time, don't we? We see it everywhere. Even in the whole Brexit thing that's gone on, what they're trying to say now is, let's try and bring unity. <laughs> Actually, in the hearts of people, <laughs> there's anger, there's a battle against people. And it's in all re- <laughs> areas of life. And so, when we get back to Genesis, we see that, Actually, it looks like the devil, Satan, has won it totally. It looks like what was shalom, what was perfect, has now totally, totally been destroyed. They're thrown out the garden. They're thrown out the place of shalom. It's thrown out the place where God dwells. And yet, it's not the final thing. Because God, when he created the world, was not going to let it go. <laughs> he wasn't going to say, enough is enough. And so we get a glimpse of redemption. We get a glimpse of God beginning to take back what was lost to the kingdom of the air, the prince of the air, the kingdom of the world, and he says this in Genesis 3:15: "I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring." He will strike your head. basically, what he's saying is this: that actually, although hostility will come between the woman and the evil one, basically, out of the seed, out of the generation of this people that actually turned against God, there will be an offspring that will actually strike the head of the evil one, (coughs) will do damage to the evil one. And there would be a crushing victory that would strike the ruler of the world's head. A head, get rid of. So it's like when we think about the kingdom of God and we think about the kingdom of evil, the kingdom of the power of the air, basically you get this picture that when it all went terribly wrong, God was preparing a way for another battle, another victory. And so we see this redemptive process taking hold and it's like everything seems lost and everything is lost but God is at work in a lost world and he calls a man and his wife and he says I am going to take you and make you a nation after my own heart you're going to be a blessing." To the world. You're gonna be this holy nation that eventually is gonna bring redemption to the world. It's God's plan that actually, even though everything lost, God was still at work. And then over the years, that family grew and grew and multiplied into millions. It's a story of epic worship and epic tragedy. (laughs) It's a story of a people that were focused on God, God, loving God, and also who still had the seed of that defeat in them. The the poor, the poor, the poor, basically. Turned in their hearts away from God. And we see that through century after century of this people. And it looks like sometimes it looks like redemption is going to happen, and other times it looks like it's a total failure. In, the good news is this God is faithful. <laughs> the good news is God is forever faithful. To his promises. And then in Isaiah, we see that little seed that was sown to Eve in terms of out of your offspring, save that salvation will come. It says in Isaiah 9:6, there's going to be a time for a child to be born, there's going to be a son that is going to be given, and the government will rest on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and his peace will never end. Can you see where the shalom, the peace? There at the beginning, totally destroyed with that battle that seemed, when I say innocuous, wasn't like the Battle of Stalingrad with millions of people. It was just a few. But actually had bigger, 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 epic. Repercussions for every person that's ever lived. And then his government and peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of the ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of the heavens' armies will make this happen. See, God, who's got the army of heaven, He's going to produce something. But you can see the battle, can't you? It's the prince of the power of the air. Looks like he's completely won. Yet God, rich in mercy, always wanted a people of peace. (laughs) A place of shalom. A place where he could abide with his people forever and ever (laughs) And then Charles Wesley, a great revivalist, I was converted in a Methodist church, he wrote a song that encapsulated what happened next. And just at the end of verse verse one of the song, it says this, Our God contracted to a span and incomprehensibly made man. Our God, the... Ruler of the universe, <laughs> the creator of every star and everything, contracted to a span and incomprehensibly, we can't comprehend how something like that can happen, became a person. <laughs> it's just wonderful theology in a song. And uh, Charles Wesley basically said, I can't understand it. But it's exactly what happened. He laid his glory by. (laughs) Paul said he did not count equality for God. Something to be grasped hold of. He laid his glory by. He wrapped himself in our clay. (laughs) And marked by human eye, the latent Godhead lay. Infant of days, he here became and bore the mild Emmanuel's Now, Is that great, great theology of God coming to be like us? And, uh, you know, we see then as this man God grew up, became about 30 years old, and started the ministry that was going to bring us back to God the ministry of reconciliation we see the garden happening all over again the battle for the mind the battle for the heart you see Jesus 40 days praying fasting not like us praying and feasting (laughs) and the devil says to him he's he said, the devil took him up, that's the prince, the power of the air, and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you glory of these kingdoms and authority over them. Can you see the same temptation? It's, the devil's. may say it's mine to give. That's what he said to the first people. If you eat this, if you do this, it's mine to give you, to be like God. He said, I'll give you glory of these kingdoms and authority over them because you are mine, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. I will give it all to you, says the devil, if you worship me. What did the Romans say? The, the futility of not worshipping God, but worshipping the created things. That's what Jesus is being told. Just worship me, says the prince of the power of the Air. And I'll give you everything. Jesus said this, which was completely undermining what the first people did. He says, the scripture says, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him. See, this God-man who contracted to us, man, who came like us, basically resisted the temptation to circumnavigate the life that he knew he had to live to redeem the whole world that's what the temptation was and he won't do it and so we see this battle now raging in the bit of Palestine in a bit of Israel and Jesus saying this the spirit of the Lord is upon me for he's anointed me to bring good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, the blind will see, the oppressed will be set free, and the time of the Lord's favour is here. (laughs) He's come to wage war on the sin and the corruption and the fear and everything that the kingdom of the power of the air has brought into the world. And we see people getting healed. We see people all over his ministry being released. And then in Matthew 27, we get this amazing, amazing upside down victory. (laughs) A victory that looked like defeat, which actually was completely the opposite. Matthew 27 says this, that Jesus shouted out again, as he's there hanging on a cross, having a sham trial, put on the cross to die a terrible death. Jesus shouted out again and he's, he released his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of a sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook Rocks split apart, tombs were opened, the bodies of many godly men and women who had died were raised. Hey, the devil, the prince of the power of the air, was watching him die and thinking, enough has been done to win totally the battle. And what's happening as Jesus is breathing his last? The earth is shaking. (laughs) The creation is having an epic Amazing kind of tremor because the King of Glory is being laid there, and people who are dead are being raised. It's like the Prince of the Power of the Hare, you think you've won, but something amazing is happening. The tombs open, bodies of godly men who were raised were raised, and they left the cemetery. After Jesus' resurrection, he went into the holy city of Jerusalem, and appeared to many. And the Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. And they said, this man truly was the Son of God. (laughs) It's amazing, isn't it? You can see, sometimes we think of the kingdom of God and we think of healings and things like that. Actually, behind it all is an epic battle for the hearts and souls of you and me. That it's our God who reigns on high for us. The great victory. Colossians says this, he cancelled the record of the charges against us and he took it away by nailing it on the cross in this way. He disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them by the cross. So what they thought was their victory was completely the opposite. He says they're shamed. You see, shame came into the world when we stopped worshipping Creator God. And now that shame is on Jesus and he shamed those who brought it in the first place. Just to bring this into a conclusion... Sometimes it doesn't look like a victory has been won. (laughs) You know, I'm going up to the city centre, to our congregation tonight. You walk through the city centre. It doesn't look like the Garden of Eden. (laughs) It doesn't look like peace and shalom. (laughs) Two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I came out of the meeting and it was all roped off and someone had just stabbed four people. The week after, I was watching three people having a massive argument, and this girl screaming, I'm going to kill you. This is just in Piccadilly Gardens, getting off a train going. That doesn't look like shalom, does it? And Jesus knew we would kind of be a little bit kind of, how did this victory, you know, play out? Do you not sometimes think that? That so, you know, we celebrate the victory of our God, and yet we live in a broken world where peace and shalom seems a long way away. And Jesus gave the people this parable to help them. It says this in Matthew 13, 24 the farmer who planted Uh, he said the kingdom of heaven is like a farmer who planted good seed in his field but that night as the workers slept his enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and those weeds are called tares and they look like wheat (laughs) so very hard to, to distinguish in fact they were so dangerous the Romans actually had a law that if you did this to somebody deliberately actually you would get fined it was illegal to do it it's this so when jesus tells this story it's real to the people they understand wheat and tares wheat and weeds growing together and uh, it says this the enemy came and planted weeds among the wheat and when the crop began to grow and produce grain the weeds also grew that's what we are living now the farmer's workers went to him and said sir the fields where you planted the good seed is full of weeds where did they come from The enemy has done this. The farmer exclaimed, should we pull them out, the weeds, they asked. No, he replied, you'll uproot the wheat if you do. Let both grow together. That's exactly what's happening in Piccadilly Gardens. (laughs) Both growing together. Until the harvest, then I will tell the harvesters to sort out the weeds, tie them up into bundles and burn them and put the wheat in the barn. There's a time when the gospel now is being preached to all nations. There's a time when it's for our job to find much wheat to preach and teach and see many coming to glory. And what's happening is they are coming to be sons and daughters of the king of the universe, but still living in a land And in a nation, in a world where tares are growing as well. And it's like God said, I want so many people to be my sons and daughters. I don't want them to be damaged. I don't want them to be harmed in terms of being able to come to me and prevented. So they are growing together, but there will be a final day. And he went on to tell them of that final day when they ask tell us more about this parable that you've said Mm -hmm. Matthew 24 says this the good news about the kingdom will be preached through the whole world so that all the nations will hear it and the end will come and then I want to finish just now with the final bit of that little parable and one verse from Revelation because in the end shalom will come (laughs) Not only in our hearts, but into the heavens and the earth. It says this, Just as the weeds are sorted out and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the world. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will remove from his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. And the angels will throw them into the fiery furnace, where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth, then the righteous will shine like the sun. That's us who are born again in their father's kingdom. Anyone with ears should hear and listen and understand. And Then Revelation eleven fifteen. This is what's going to happen on that glorious day. When the victory on the cross reaches its total consummation. The seventh day. Angel blew his trumpet, and there was loud voices shouting in heaven, The world, the world now has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Amen.